You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. I think that it's really important when you're meeting with an attorney to listen to your gut and to take in and and observe while you're engaged in the conversation that you're having with him or her. Do you feel heard? Do you feel like they understand you? Do you feel comfortable asking questions? And if you're not comfortable with that attorney, to interview at least one more attorney, because it is truly all about a good fit. Welcome to JBD Team Talks with your host, Karen McMahon. During Team Talks, you get a chance to meet our JBD coaches as we discuss challenges and difficulties that are common to everyone facing divorce and provide you with tips and strategies to help you master the art of managing your thoughts, calming your emotions, and intentionally choosing your responses. And now for today's topic. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. I'm really glad to be with you today. Rachel, I'm so glad we're having this conversation about entering the legal process and how to get started in the process in general and choosing the right legal representation. Let's dive in with what you need to think about in terms of how to get divorced when either you've made that decision or your spouse has made it for you. What should people be thinking about in terms of how they want to get divorced? It's a great question because I think many people don't realize that they have a choice in how to get divorced. People think immediately litigation, it's going to be combative. I'm going to come out the other side financially insolvent. That just limits involved in the process of getting divorced. So I always recommend that people take some really important time and you can do some great work with a coach on this and coming up with and trying to get some clarity around goals 
for how you want to show up, how you want to present yourself in the process, how you want to feel in the process, if you want to feel confident in the process, if you want to feel like you empowered in the process, if you want to make shifts around how you engage with your soon-to-be ex-spouse. So the more clarity that you can have about how you want to engage in the process, the more clarity you will have then around choosing a legal process that that is right for you. And there are many ways you can get divorced. You can get divorced through litigation, through mediation, through just lawyer to lawyer negotiation, out of court, and through a collaborative law process. But without the clarity around how you want to be in the process and what your goals are around how you want to come out the other side, both for your life and your relationship with the co-parent, if there is one, it's, it, it can be very daunting to try to choose the right legal process, or you may end up in a legal process that, that isn't right for you or that doesn't feel comfortable. That was a mouthful. And what I'm hearing is so often as the people we work with entering the process, a foreign land, it's a foreign country, it's very frightening. Their, um, their ex has their own fears and desires that they're saying are fact. And so there's this overwhelming sense of being out of control. There's so much uncertainty. And so what I hear you saying is by taking that space to mentally Consider that I have a choice here. I have a choice on how I want to show up, setting my goals for what I desire, and a choice for then which path I take to get there. You immediately start the process from a more empowered position. That's exactly right. That's, and it has enormous impact then on how you experience the process. Right. Yeah. And what would you say that just on that piece, can you elaborate on the impact that you've seen your coaching, the people that you coach in terms of when they have that shift and they kind of really sit in the driver's seat and know that they can drive the experience to a certain degree? Mm -hmm. Well, I certainly see it. I see unbelievably powerful shifts with my clients around changing communication patterns with their soon-to-be ex-spouse or their former spouse by doing a lot of hard, really amazing work in, in coaching with me so that they can choose how to respond to those situations versus just react to them. And I also see shifts in my clients in their relationships with their attorneys when they have taken the time to think through what they want, what their goals are, how they want this process to go, rather than simply be told how it's going to happen by the attorney. I was speaking with a client a couple of days ago who, after a session with me at the end of the session, said, you know what, I didn't realize it, but I don't like the path and the direction that my lawyer is taking. He wants to be much more aggressive than I want to be. And I've been intimidated about saying something to him because he's the expert. And I saw this newfound confidence in her to speak up for herself because her lawyer represents her. It's not his case per se. It's her case. 
Right. And that's exactly it. It's like you're the boss, you're paying the bill. And a lot of times I even work with professionals who I tell them, put your professional hat on. When you go to work and you manage your staff or whatever, you're like on top of all that. It's the same thing, even though it's in your personal life. So I love that piece of advice. And then let's dive into, it's really, there's a lot about making that first step, right? Of course, it's the first relationship that you're going to have as you enter your divorce. It's your first new relationship, choosing an attorney and an approach. And of course, we have an entire program on the various approaches, the, the litigation, mediation, arbitration, collaboration. Today, we really want to give our listeners some very tangible guidance on on how to choose that attorney. So what are some of the suggestions since you straddle coaching and your experience as an attorney? What do you suggest? So I think that it's really important when you're meeting with an attorney to listen to your gut and to take in and observe while you're engaged in the conversation that you're having with him or her. Do you feel heard? Do you feel like they understand you? Do you feel comfortable asking questions? And if you're not comfortable with that attorney, to interview at least one more attorney, because it is truly all about a good fit. It's about a good fit financially, obviously, but it's also about a good fit because, as you said, this is the first relationship that you're going to have as you begin this divorce process. And it's such an important relationship. It, it it's critical that you feel like you can express your needs and ask questions and that you, you trust your lawyer. Yeah. And I want to jump in with a, a story I had. This was years ago. I had a client and she called me and she said, my, my attorney's just way, way too aggressive. And as coaches, we don't take anything at face value. And so as I began to poke around, she had been in a 40-year marriage where she, her term was, I always fly under the radar. And so when I started poking around and asking, the attorney wasn't aggressive at all. She was simply writing the statement, filing the paperwork, just going through very standard things. But because of the level of fear and insecurity in my client, anything that that was even assertive with her, her soon-to-be ex was seen as aggressive. And so from that coaching point of view, you really want to have that sounding board and talk to someone about it because you don't want an attorney who is going to bully you after maybe you felt bullied in your marriage. But you also don't want to judge the attorney through your own lens of um, fear or judgment and make a bad decision. So there's a lot to that, isn't there? Yeah, that's a beautiful example of how important it is to be getting support and coaching. Because imagine if your client hadn't been working with you, she may have fired that lawyer and that lawyer might have been actually an excellent lawyer for her. And she was. She ended up getting her a beautiful settlement. And that's the growth, as you and I know, right? That's the growth is when people use us as sounding boards and then push through their discomfort. What do I, what is in this for me? 
to grow, right? And so often we grow through those uncomfortable feelings. That's right. So back to some of the tips. What are some of the other tips you have in terms of choosing the right attorney? So some tips when you're meeting with an attorney and interviewing them. I, as an attorney, always asked my clients to describe the dynamic between the person who's interviewing me and their spouse. Not all attorneys do this, but I would recommend offering a description of that because it it sheds some light on what some challenges might be and gives the attorney some insight into from obviously your perspective where you think there's going to be some bumps in the road. And then it also provides an opportunity to get some data from the attorney about how they respond to what you're saying. So... I think obviously focus on your own needs and what your interests are and what your worries are, but also describe the dynamic between you and your spouse. Excellent point. Share goals that you have because it helps the attorney be able to put into context some of the different pieces of what you're going to be negotiating and share your concerns and your fears also, because again, this is where it's so important to feel comfortable with your lawyer and feel like you can be honest about what your worries are, what your fears are, and vet out the different options that are on the table. I always encourage people to take notes during the meeting because many people are overwhelmed and nervous and scared. It may be the first time that you have even met with an attorney, and then you can look back on your notes and um, reflect on the conversation, and you'll have the information right in front of you. It's interesting that you say that. I would say one of the things I almost always recommend is that in that initial meeting that you bring someone because, and some attorneys are like, well, it's attorney-client privilege and it's going to be broken. But when you, what you just said, it's so overwhelming. You're so emotionally charged. The chance that you're going to remember to ask all your questions or you're going to remember all the answers is like so slim. And to have that loved one who might just be taking notes for you, might just re- be reminding you of the questions that you wanted to ask really gives you an opportunity to receive so much more from the session because I remember when I sat down with my attorney, my mom was with me. At a certain point, it sounded like wah, 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 because (laughs) I was just so overwhelmed and scared. And then she was able to really help me. So what do you think of that? I think that's a great idea. And frankly, if a lawyer says, no, don't bring somebody, you may want to interview a different lawyer because the interview itself is confidential, but I think a lawyer who doesn't want another person in the room and you feel you need that support, there may be a disconnect there. Yeah, that's the first lack of honoring or ability to be aligned with what you need. I I like that. That's a very good point. Okay, let's keep going. Again, in terms of how overwhelming it can be, and this is going to be a new language that you really are not familiar with and how they're describing the process, 
ask for clarity. If you don't understand something, say, wait a minute, can you say that in a different way? Or I'm confused. Don't just nod your head and uh, pretend that you know what's going on and, and think you're asking a stupid question because there really is no stupid question. This is a whole different world, the divorce world, the legal world. And if you're going through it for the first time, there's no reason that you should understand it or be familiar with it. So again, trust your gut and ask for clarity if you don't understand something that's being said. And I think especially for our listeners who are coming from the, that high conflict marriage, you may have been told that you're silly or stupid, like you may have been berated for years and so you're afraid to speak up. And a huge part of what we work with you on is pushing through your comfort zone and honoring who you are and what you need. And I think that that was a perfect example of it, Rachel. You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated regulating your emotional reactions and it's been really helpful yet you know you could do better be better and you're wanting and needing more support that's where our coaching service is a game changer we're here for you when you need us the most ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips guiding and supporting you to be more effective our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today. Questions that I've come up with when you're interviewing and asking, hiring a lawyer, some questions to ask of the lawyer. Number one, how long have you been practicing family law? And that's not to say that somebody who perhaps has been practicing for three or four years is not going to be competent or a good fit. But I think it, it can be helpful to have an idea of how seasoned the lawyer is, how long they've been in practice and ask the lawyer to describe their style and approach to cases. Some lawyers will tell you that it, they're going to get you everything you deserve. And, and that's a sure sign that you've got a lawyer who's going to go litigation first settlement at the end of the process versus a lawyer who says, I try to settle all my cases. I try to have open disclosure. I try to get everyone to the table as soon as we have all the information. That's a sign that you're talking to a lawyer who's very settlement oriented and will use litigation as the last resort. Beautiful. And along those lines, ask the lawyer, what divorce process do they have the most experience with? Some are pure litigators. Some do mediations and also collaborative law. Some try to settle out of court. I know myself when I was practicing law about 15 years ago, I closed my litigation practice and did only collaborative law and mediation. And so 
a, a client interviewing me would need to be interested in that kind of process. And, and that, again, will give you some insight into the attorney style, the approach, what they're most comfortable in terms of process. As you're describing your case, your dynamic with your spouse, your finances, your children, co-parenting issues, I suggest asking the attorney, so having heard my situation, how much experience have you had with cases like mine? And see what their response is. So if the attorney said something like, you know, that's, that's a pretty standard case. You know, I do a lot of those. Like, what would you think about a response like that? I think I would probably recommend following up because that's sort of a generic answer and it's not going to give you that much information and following up and saying, well, can you give me some examples of one or two cases that are similar to mine and what, what was the process and, and what was the general outcome? What else do we have? You definitely want to find out what the hourly rate or fee is and if the attorney requires a retainer. The vast majority of attorneys do request retainers. And for folks who aren't familiar with what a retainer is, you pay up front a certain amount and then each month you get a bill. And any time that the lawyer's spent on your case, billing time gets billed against the retainer. And so it draws down on the retainer. And, if, and I, I, I want to just comment on that because I, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. The way the attorneys make their living is by what they do for you. So, yes, if they write an email, you're going to get it on your bill. If they make a phone call, it's going to be part of your bill. Anything that they do, which is why it's so important, and I'm getting ahead of us, but it's so important to not call your attorney and spend an hour complaining about your ex you only call your attorney when you're talking about legal strategy or you're getting information because any interaction with your attorney or his or her associate, written or verbal, is billable time for them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And one way that you can try to reduce those fees or be very mindful of those fees also is to do some of the work on your own. Sometimes parents are able to sit down and talk through a, a first draft of a parenting plan rather than go through attorneys who are going to bill you for that. Pull your finances together and organize them. If, if you're able to do that, will save you legal fees as well. So there are various ways that you can um, control to some extent how much your legal fees are. Great. And, and I just thought of a third one is ask the lawyer if they have legal assistants or paralegals in the firm who have lower hourly rates and help the attorney with the background work so that you can save some money in that area, too. And how do they use their paralegals and legal assistants? And that way you can only go to the, the head honcho when you really need that level of legal guidance. Exactly. And then what about their, like, client service? What kinds of questions would someone ask to see whether or not they would just feel taken care of when it comes to client service and reaching out? I would ask, what's your average response time when clients mm -hmm. contact you? 
Some attorneys are better at that, frankly, than others. This is a complete stereotype, but many litigators are just jumping from crisis to crisis. And so it can be very hard to track your attorney down and, and find some time with them. Ask them if you want to schedule a call, what's the best way, whether to go through the paralegal or directly through the attorney. Ask them what's the best way to be in touch with them and do they like meetings? Do they like phone calls? Do they like text? Start to get a feel for what kind of contact you can expect from them and what their level of engagement is going to be with you. And again, if you do not feel like you're being heard or taken care of, work with your coach if you're struggling around this to speak up because it's so important. I've had clients where their lawyers just aren't getting back to them and they just want to shrivel up and, and they feel completely powerless. And I've worked with them and they've learned how to be more assertive and either get that relationship back on track or change attorneys. And, and how the attorney engages with you in these early stages when you're trying to decide whether or not to hire them, to retain them, uh, that's how they're going to engage with you throughout the, um, throughout the process. And so if you're kind of chasing someone just to make that decision, that's a red flag in and of itself. And at the same time, someone's giving you time and, um, and they're responsive or, you know, you get a text saying I'm in court for the rest of the day, but I got your message and I will get back to you. You're going to feel very, um, attended to, even if you have to wait. Um, and so all of that is really important to keep, keep, keep in mind. Very important because this is an important relationship. And th this person is going to help you determine what your life is going to look like during and post-divorce. And you're going to be angry and frustrated and frightened and uncertain enough when it comes to your soon-to-be ex. You don't want to have those same emotions toward your attorney. So I love this list. What else is on it? So one is, are there any tasks I can take on to reduce my legal fees? And, and some of those tasks I mentioned were pulling together your finances, if, if that's something you're able to do, and organizing it and presenting it to the lawyer or paralegal. And another is taking a first stab at a parenting plan. And the lawyer may have some other ideas for what can be done. I would recommend asking the lawyer, what do you think is the most important thing for me to know about you as a divorce attorney? That question is not often posed to lawyers. And I think what you get back is going to give you a lot of important information about whether or not this is going to be a good fit for you, because it, it will open a lens into what their priorities are and how they view themselves. And then lastly, if I were to hire you, what would the next step be? So you have some clarity about what would happen next. Now, a lot of people tend to ask, how long is this going to take or how much is this going to cost? And as a caution, a lawyer who gives you a flat number or a flat amount of time for how long it's going to take or how much it's going to cost is not 
to be trusted, in my opinion, because there are no guarantees about process. There's no guarantees about cost unless it's truly a flat fee, which most lawyers don't charge. And so listen to how the lawyer answers that question. Yeah, I would say that so many, and of course we want that answer. We want to know. And yet there's how you're going to behave. There's how your ex is going to behave. There's how your attorney and his or her attorney is going to behave. Like there's so many different elements that go, there's the complexity of your finances. There's so many different things. Uh, My divorce, for those of you who have been listening for a long time, my divorce lasted three and a half years. And at one point, I think it was actually the guardian ad litem, the attorney for the children said to me, Karen, a divorce case goes as, as quickly as the slowest moving person. And my ex had his heels dug in, didn't want a divorce for years. And that rang so true in my ears. So it's really hard to tell. Very hard to tell. And it may be that you anticipate things going smoothly and you run into some big bumps that that you have to spend time working through. Conversely, it may be that you expect it to drag out and drag out and it happens more quickly. There really is no way to predict. And a lawyer who gives you guarantees on outcome, cost, and the time it will take is not being honest with you because the lawyer does not have 100% control over that. Let's take a few minutes, Rachel, just to talk about like the mediator, because uh, I know I've worked with, I have colleagues who are mediators, but they're not attorneys. And I also know that especially right now, the court systems are backed up that more and more attorneys are doing online mediations. When you asked the question before, what is your experience? I think that it'd be really interesting to find a mediator from find out from a mediator like what's your experience in settling cases you know like I, I spoke to one mediator who said this is my magic sauce I like I settle like over 90 percent of my cases and so what are some of the questions you were doing collaborative and mediation law for a while so what are there are a few different questions that one would ask a mediator who's really a neutral at the table with you and your spouse Sure. That, that Great question. I would inquire about experience. I would, if it's a high conflict case, absolutely ask the mediator, what is their level of experience working with high conflict clients? Ask them, how do they manage the conflict in the room? What are some of the strategies that they use? If you are the spouse who feels bullied or intimidated, I recommend being honest with them about that and ask them how they would address that. If you're the spouse who doesn't have the financial information or is not up to speed on it, make it clear to the mediator that that's the situation and find out again how they would handle that. Ask them if they meet only with everyone in the room or if they caucus, which means meeting separately with each of the clients and then going back and forth between the clients and trying to help move the resolution along. And if they do caucus, I would ask them, do they do it all the time or do they do it just under certain circumstances? Some people are comfortable with that. Some people are not comfortable with that. 
And can you just, I, I just want to be clear, because when I first heard that, I didn't know what it meant. So if you're on a, if you're doing online mediation, or I guess in-person mediation, but online, you're both on the line at the same time. You're just put in separate rooms and the mediator goes back and forth, correct? That would be the caucusing. That's correct. And then you, uh, you there's also the option of everybody being online together and the, and the dialogue happening there. And the nice thing about that is if you feel deeply triggered by your spouse's voice or their body language and you feel like you're going to be able to emotionally regulate better by not being in the same room with him or her, then that's part of the conversation to have to see if that's something that that mediator works with. That's right. That's right. I would also ask them how to describe how they view their role. Now, obviously, they're neutrals, but how a mediator describes their role as a neutral, it can vary from mediator to mediator. And listen to what they're saying and and really think about and be aware of whether it's comfortable. And again, this has to be a really good fit as well. It, a mediator is just as important as an attorney because this is the professional who's going to facilitate dialogue between you and your spouse to try to help the two of you reach resolution. It's critical to feel comfortable and attended to and heard from a mediator, not just from a lawyer. Yeah, and I think that these are great suggestions to get you started. And uh, if you're heading in this direction, Every step of the way, whether you're trying to figure out which legal approach or how to pick the right attorney, or uh, I was having a conversation with a client yesterday, like, how do I, how do I tell my spouse I want a divorce? I have another client. How do I tell my adult children we've made this decision? So there are all of these how-tos that are, it's new territory. It's overwhelming. It's it can be scary. And that's where having the support of professionals like divorce coaches who understand the landscape and can help get help you get clear on what you need so that you can develop your unique and authentic plan for going forward is going to be one of the most empowering things you can do for yourself early on in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Divorce coaches can help you prepare for mediation sessions, find your voice if you're struggling with finding your voice, practice and be prepared for how you want to negotiate in the room. And divorce coaches can do the same with people who engage lawyers and help them be able to speak up for themselves. And I would say even the flip side, I had this one client, she was deeply unrealistic about shared parenting time and not wanting her very young child to sleep at gads until they were like five years old and the child, let's say, was two. And so it's not just about what you want. Sometimes it's about the divorce coach helping you to understand why you've dug your heels in and what that means and how realistic it is and what that might do to the process and the relationship of settling. And so sometimes where we come in and we support you is 
helping you get out of your own way and mm. get clear on what's behind the position so that you can find comfort in what's going to most likely happen anyway. That, that's, that's an excellent point. Excellent point. I was just talking to a client yesterday who was working on preparing for a first mediation session and the mediator was going to talk about some communication ground rules or agreements and they were going to come up with them in the first session. And I said, so what are some of those ground rules that are important to you? And he started by saying, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. I don't want this anymore. And after he laid out about 10 negatives, I said, it's interesting to me that everything you've put on the table is what you don't want. How do you think that will land? And so I worked with him on reframing what's important to him as a positive. And it, it was brand new to him. But imagine how that mediation would have gone had he gone in there and just started laying out all of his complaints while they're trying to come up with ground rules or agreements for communicating during the mediation. Oh, my God, that's perfect. Yeah. So do you have any last tips before we wrap up? This has been great, Rachel. Thank you. I think work with a coach during this process. Work with a coach before you hire a lawyer if you can so that you have your clarity about, about what you want to ask that lawyer and what kind of lawyer relationship you want. I think just keep looking inward and keep exploring how you're feeling and experiencing the process and who you want to be in this process. And the more you can do that, the more you will start to become who you want to be and have a vision for who you want to be post-divorce and take some power back in your life during the process and after the process. This process is not easy. It's very difficult and painful for just about everyone, but it is also an incredible opportunity for growth if, if you grab onto that. Yeah, and I, I would just say that uh, and every trigger and every upset is truly an invitation for us to learn more about ourselves, our judgment, our wounds, our, our fears, and grow through what's going to happen anyway. So it's like to use the pain to fuel your personal change is the invitation in divorce. And so I hope that you gain some real value in today's program, and we'll be back again with Team Talks in another couple of weeks. We'll talk to you then. spouse always seemed to be fighting, but nothing was ever resolved. Their spouse would constantly blame them, unwilling to take any responsibility. Joe lived in the tension of walking on eggshells, doubting themselves, and over time, they became unhinged, angry, and triggered, struggling further with shame and self-condemnation. Their reactivity was used as proof that they were the problem. If you're in a relationship or marriage filled with conflict and blame, and you're wondering, is this normal or could it be toxic? 
Take the quiz and find out how toxic your relationship is. Go to journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash toxic quiz and find out today. for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.